podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. and girls welcome to two footed podcast on thursday the 23rd of september we're brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider a virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location access things you're geoblocked from while also keeping your data safe check out libertyshield.com there's hardware and software packages there is a a free 48-hour trial so you can try before you buy Use the code EPLVPN, you get 20% off at checkout, libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find either by their websites or on Etsy. Just download the Etsy app to your phone. It's always good to have. There's loads of good stuff on there, but search EPL Index or Anfield Index and there's loads of good merch there. So check those out when you have the chance. Right, folks. Carabao Cup last night. Six games. One shock, I think it's fair to say. But let's go through. Brighton 2, Swansea 0. Aaron Connolly with both goals for Brighton, but the big news for Brighton, Tariq Lamptey back in the starting eleven. Really nice to see him back playing. And hopefully, hopefully, we get to see more of him as the season goes. He played 45 minutes yesterday. I am I assume that was the plan to bring him back slowly. You'd hope there's no reaction, no niggle. Hopefully it was just bringing him back, giving him some minutes in his legs and getting him back towards first-team football. Um, interesting lineup from Brighton. No striker in the team. Uh, Connolly, kind of a striker, but he played he played a little bit deeper than, than I was expecting. Um, McAllister, Moder, nice to see those two getting minutes as well. I think they'll be big players. One player who was of, of note is Taylor Richards. Looks a really nice player. Midfielder, formerly of Manchester City. Um, they, Brighton brought him in from the City Academy two years ago. He spent last season on loan with Doncaster and had a tremendous season, scored 11 goals in 48 games. I was impressed with him last night. This is the game I decided to watch. And I have to say, I was impressed. It was nice to see Aaron Connolly getting two goals as well. We've got to support, support our own over here. Uh, Leicester 2, Millwall 0. Adam Ola Luckman with his first goal for Leicester and Kelechi Iheanacho with his second. Pretty strong Leicester team, it must be said. Danny Ward played in goal. And Marty, Sionchu and Evans as the back three. Sionchu and Evans are the starting two. Uh, Albrighton, Thielemans and Didi. Dewsbury Hall, talented young midfielder there. And, and Luke Thomas, who's really, really impressed since getting opportunities at left back. Ianacho and Luckman up front. A little bit surprised Pats and Daka didn't start. 
but he did he did come off the bench as did Yannick Vestergaard. Um, Leicester went strong, so Rogers obviously taking the cup seriously, maybe wanting to add some more silverware to the FA Cup he won last season, and obviously looking to get some confidence back in the team after what's been a fairly disappointing start to their Premier League campaign. Uh, Tottenham 2, Wolves 2, Tottenham threw 3-2 on penalties. Endombele and Kane put Spurs 2-0 up before Dendonker and Pedence uh, levelled it all up. Spurs went with a much stronger team than I expected. They had Galini in goal, Tanganga, Romero, Sanchez and Davies uh, at, at the back. So, Definitely the two best centre-backs. You can make an argument that Tanganga is still the best right-back at the club. It just depends how Emerson settles and, and kicks on. Uh, Deli Ali, Oliver Skip and Endombele in midfield. That's definitely two of their three best midfielders. Lacelso played wide on the right. Brian Hill played wide on the left. And Harry Kane played up front. So a really strong team from Spurs. I actually think they'll be a little bit disappointed not have won this game in normal time, especially having gone 2-0 up. Wolves also went with a strong-ish team, but not as strong. Ruddy in goal, Mesquera, uh, Bolly, Kilman across the back. Kiana Hoiver at right back, I believe he was voted man of the match. Ruben Neves, Leander Dendonker and Rayanate Nuri um, across the rest of the midfield. And Pedence, Fabio Silva and Huang up front. Cody, Semedo, Joe Matinho and Adama all came on for Wolves. Regulon, Heusberg and Son came on for um, for Spurs. I, I only saw the highlights of this game, but guys informed me that Mosquera got hurt very early in the game. So that's obviously why he had nine minutes. That's why Connor Cody was drafted in nice and early. Uh, in the penalty shootout, Wang scored to make it 1-0. Kane made it 1-1. Matinho made it 2-1. Regulon made it 2-2. Neves missed, stayed 2-2. Brian Hill put Spurs 3-2 up. Then Donker missed. Heusberg missed. And then Connor Cody missed. So four of the last five penalties missed. Uh, Galini had himself had himself a good old time. Uh, didn't play well. Did not play well during the game, but really did step up in the penalty shootout, and uh, Spurs march on. West Ham won Manchester United nil. So the Hammers go to Old Trafford and get revenge for the result of the weekend, where they will feel they were a little bit robbed because they weren't given the first penalty they should have got, and then obviously they blew the late penalty. Alphonse Ariola started in goal, Ryan Fredericks, Craig Dawson, Issa Diop, and Johnson across the back, Diop was tremendous. I saw quite a bit of this game. I had it on the second screen. He was excellent in this game. Really impressed with Kral in midfield. Uh, Noble, not so much. Yarmolenko, Lanzini and Masuaka behind Bowen. United went with a pretty strong team, it must be said. Dean Henderson, Delos, Bailly, Lindelof, Tellez, Van de Beek, Matic, Mata. Lingard, Martial and Sancho. That's a very expensive cup team. Now, admittedly, the only one who is a starter for them is Sancho, but it is a very, very expensive team to be putting out in the cup. They did bring on Greenwood, Fernandez, and Alanga. Phil Jones back on the bench was nice to see uh, after the, the hassle he's had. 
Manuel Lanzini after nine minutes, the only goal of the game, and West Ham move on. Arsenal let me down badly last night. No Charlie Patino in the squad. Really disappointed in that. But they win 3-0 over AFC Wimbledon. Lacazette and then late goals from Smith Rowe and Enketia. Largely a reserve team for Arsenal, though Thomas Partey did play, as did Alex Lacazette. Lacazette's probably a backup now at this point. But Thomas Partey is their best midfielder. But apparently he wanted to play. He requested to play to get his fitness levels up because obviously they've got Spurs coming up. Um, Saka, Smith, Rowan, Balogun coming off the bench does just go to show how much talent there is at that club from their own academy, though. Like, you had Enketia starting, Maitland-Niles starting, obviously another academy grad, Martinelli, who they bought really young, he spent a little bit of time in their academy, uh, and then those boys coming off the bench, plus the likes of Patino, who didn't make the bench. That Arsenal academy is exceptional, and it is, it is one to be admired. And finally, Chelsea won, Aston Villa won, and Chelsea got through 4-3 on penalties. Timo Werner put Chelsea one up, and Cameron Archer made it 1-1. Really good header from a Matty Cash cross. Chelsea went strong. Kepa in goal, Reese James right back, Chilwell left back, Chalaba and Malang Sarr at centre-back. Neither of them are starters, although Chalaba's played quite a bit already this season. Kante, Loftus-Cheek and Saul in midfield. Another little bit of a rough outing for Saul, but he is still finding his feet. Hudson-Odoi, Werner and Zayic up front. Coming off the bench, they had Lukaku, Barkley and Mount. Um, Villa went with Jed Steer in goal. Cash, Tunzebi, Courtney Howes and Ashley Young across the back. Sanson and Nakamba. Then Traore, Buendia, El Ghazi behind Archer. And off the bench for them, Konza, Filijan, Podaz, Pidaz, I, sorry, whoever you are, and Karni Chukwamaka, who I just really, really like. I think he's a special young player. The Villa bench, very, very young, really impressive. It was literally Esri Konza and six youngsters, six academy grads. Um, they've got such a good academy there at Villa as well. They've really built it up well over the last four or five years. Credit to them. So Villa are, are Villa are out. Chelsea go through on penalties. Um, we had Lukaku scoring. El Ghazi scored first, then Lukaku. Ashley Young missed. Mount scored. Nakamba missed. Why he was taking a penalty, I have no idea. Ross Barkley scored. Konza scored. Chilwell missed. Wendia scored. And Reese James puts Chelsea through. So the draw was made last night. And I think... Some teams will be happy and some definitely will not. Chelsea at home to Southampton. Arsenal at home to Leeds. Stoke at home to Brentford. That's an interesting one. Championship side versus Premier League side, but Premier League side may well rest some players at that point. Uh, West Ham at, at home to Man City. Neither of these teams will be happy with this draw. West Ham because, I mean, to beat Man United away and then get City next is a slap in the face. And City because, well, I mean, it's not Dagenham Redbridge reserves, you know. It's not Rushton and Diamonds under 14s, who they normally get at this stage of the competition. So, you know, they'll both be a little bit unhappy there. Leicester against Brighton, I think that's going to be a really good game. Preston at home to Liverpool. Preston will be delighted with the draw. Liverpool will be happy as well. And some lovely history between the two clubs, Bill Shankly, and obviously in the more recent times, 
Ben Davies, though, you know, and Seth Vandenberg. Um, Burnley at home to Tottenham and QPR at home to Sunderland. So really nice to see those two lower league teams drawing each other and lower league championship versus league one. But it is good to see them that one of them will progress into the quarterfinals. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the cup is it's going well so far this year. It's It's been good. There's been good games. Uh, like I said, I, I enjoyed the Brighton-Swansea game. I thought Swansea's fans gave uh, Graham Potter a lot of respect, which was nice to see. He did good work there, and he kind of paved the way for Steve Cooper to come in and do really well. Unfortunately, they're struggling at the moment, but I, I think they'll turn it around. I think they'll turn it around. Uh, right then, we are going to take a quick break. I know it's early, but I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to run through the questions for today. And we'll be out of here nice and early today. Nice, quick pod. Nothing too too exciting to talk about. Everything's very, very quiet at the moment. So uh, give me two minutes and we'll be back. Right, folks, welcome back. So it is questions day, so we're going to run through these nice and quick. Don't think we have, I think we've got seven for today, so we'll get through them. Uh, from 87, question for the pod, how does Liverpool's academy compare to the top academies in, U in the UK and Europe, and what needs to be done for it to be as good? Liverpool's academy does produce good players, though a lot of those players are ones they bring in from other clubs at like 15, 16. You know, we're seeing Harvey Elliott, we've seen Kate Gordon this week, Bobby Clark is one they're very high on, the young Polish kid Musilowski, uh, they're very high on. They have homegrown, like Oakley Cannonier and people like that, and obviously Trent and Curtis Jones. One of the issues for Liverpool is they don't have a big catchment area. And the local catchment area has not been particularly strong in recent years, with the exception of Trent, Curtis Jones, and maybe Gordon at, uh, at Everton. If you look around the Liverpool and Everton academies, or the, you know, even the first-team squads, there's not a lot of local young players making that step to first-team football outside of the three I mentioned. Now... A lot of these things are cyclical and sometimes you just go through a cycle where the talent isn't there and then it re-emerges. But the, the local and United always have, a, have a, a great string of players coming through. Now, again, oftentimes they will go and poach young players at 15, 16, the way Liverpool do. They have a couple of training centres, I believe, so their catchment area is expanded. But Manchester in recent years has just been a bigger hotbed for talent than Liverpool. It's as simple as that. Um, the City one is, is hard to judge because, again, it's a lot of players brought in from elsewhere. You know, 15, 16, nabbed from different clubs, brought in, developed for a couple of years. There's, there is obviously local players as well, but United do seem to have an advantage in the local player um, side of things. You know, you look at, say the big three to come out of there, out of Manchester the last few years, would be Rashford, Foden and Greenwood, and United got two of them. Um, 
City have a great academy, though. I'd say the top three are City. Overall, the top three are City, Arsenal and Chelsea in reverse order. Chelsea won, Arsenal two, City three, United probably four, Villa five. I think Liverpool are in the next group. They could even be six, but I don't think they're in that same group. I think the top three or four separate themselves as well. They pump a lot of money into those academies, and Liverpool don't put as much into theirs. In terms of Europe, I mean, the, the great one was always Barcelona, but theirs appears to have dried up a little bit. I know they, they brought through Ansu Fati, but, you know, it, it hasn't been a, a great couple of years for the Barcelona Academy. Real's academy is bizarre. It doesn't seem to produce first-team caliber players at all. Um, Paris Saint-Germain have an amazing academy. The issue is they have no pathway to the first team. But they might be... Like, Paris is incredibly talent-rich, and they have a, a monopoly on the talent in their local area. So they might be the, the number one team right now. Ajax will always have a strong academy. Bayern have a strong academy. Liverpool isn't quite on the elite level. That's that's how I would compare it. It's good. It's not great. It could be better. It probably needs more more funding. But it, it's a good academy. Um, right, on to Discord. Uh, Rick M. Can Deli Ali ever find his form again at Spurs? Or if he were to move on, what team would be a good fit for him? I love Delhi. Delhi is one of my favourite players in the Premier League. I, I love watching him play. I think he's a super intelligent player. Great movement. Lovely first touch. Great technique. Great finisher. Confidence through the floor, though. Confidence gone. Now, I think Nuno's done a, quite a good job with him this season, but he's obviously using him as an eight rather than as, as that number 10. And I do think Delhi needs to play as that number 10. As for what clubs, can he rediscover his form at Spurs? Yeah, maybe. If Nuno were to go back to 4-2-3-1, play Delhi behind Kane, Son off the left, say Brian Hill off the right, or Bergwijn or Mora. The issue there is they don't have a central midfield pairing. They have to get Endombele in the team. What they could do is go to a diamond, go Heusberg deepest, Endombele and Lacelso as the kind of the, not the engine, because they're describing them too as an engine wouldn't be fair, but the hub of the team. And then Delhi is a 10 behind Kane and Son. Yeah, I think from there you could get a lot out of him. I really do. But I do think a move would, would benefit him. Now, where he would go, I think he'd be a great fit at Everton. Um, whether he'd be willing to go to Everton or not, I have no idea. But I think he'd be a great fit at Everton. Him behind Calvert-Lewin, with Damari Gray from the right and Richarlison from the left. I think that's a very, very promising group. You get Dini coming from left back. You sort that right back position out. Or maybe you just leave Holgate. You, you go with Holgate there. And you buy yourself a, a central midfield, a centre back and a central midfielder to go with Godfrey at centre back. Alan in midfield, two new players and Delhi. Everton would be interesting. That would be be one. He doesn't really fit at United, obviously, because of Bruno. So you can rule them out. Um, I'm just going to grab the Premier League table up and we'll go from top to bottom. Uh, he doesn't fit at Chelsea. 
he, he could play off Lukaku, but he doesn't really fit in that 3-4-3. Not, not ideally, anyway. He could play for Liverpool as a false nine. I think it would take a little bit of work. I think you'd probably be looking at a season for him to transition. But I do think he could play that role. Not a great fit at Brighton. He wouldn't go to Brighton. He wouldn't. He wouldn't get in the team at City. I think he could be an attacking eight for Liverpool as well, just to throw that out, out there. But I will say, if you look at Liverpool's players, 4-2-3-1 suits everybody more than 4-3-3, except for Jordan Henderson and James Milner. They're the only two Liverpool midfielders who wouldn't be more suited and more comfortable in a two with a ten than the three. Thiago, Naby, Fabinho all came from teams that they played in a two and excelled in the two. All had to adapt to the three. Curtis Jones is more naturally a 10. Ox would be more comfortable as a 10 or as a winger in a 4-2-3-1 than a wide forward in a 4-3-3. Taki Minamino would be more comfortable as a 10 than he is in 4-3-3. Bobby Firmino can play the 10 in a 4-3-3. So, and I think Delis is better than all of them. Um, I think Liverpool would be a great fit for him if they played 4-2-3-1 because I think the players they have I think he'd work well with them um, you go Sadio left Harvey Elliott on the right when he comes back Mo through the middle Deli as the 10 Thiago and Fabinho as the 2 in midfield I, I think that works better than than the 4-3-3 in terms of if Deli was to come in Um Everton, I've mentioned. West Ham, they've got a lot of players in that line of three, but he, he would fit there perfectly. Uh, Alf Antonio, I think he'd actually have a lot of joy. Villa, behind Watkins, I could see it, but they bought Danny Ings and that kind of complicates things. Leicester already have Madison for that kind of number 10 role, but I would rather have an informed Delhi, I would rather have. Arsenal would be interesting. But you'd have to play Odegaard in the midfield too, and I don't know how that works. Um, don't think he works at Leeds, and he's not going to be interested in any of the rest. But I think the best the best fit as things sit right now is probably Everton, because I think Calvert-Lewin's the ideal striker for him to play off. And Richarlison on the left is that type of pacey, hard-working vertical stretch option that you want similar to what Sun does not as talented as Sun I don't think more of a raw prospect even still at this point but yeah I think you could replicate some of what Spurs had a few years ago at Everton so that's that's where I would suggest would be the best natural fit um AMK 2889 Sterling Mane and probably Cristiano are the next to get 100 Premier League goals who do you think is after them? I didn't realise Walcott and Benteke are somewhat close. Do you think they'll somehow get to 100 league goals? And do you think Sadio Mane will score 100 league goals for Liverpool? That is a good question. Let's see. Sadio Mane has 77 league goals for Liverpool. Um... If he stays, he will. If he stays this season, he's going to stay this season. If he stays next season, he will. Because 
even though he's not playing well this season, he already has three league goals in five games. And he's yet to play well. So Sadio will get goals just by the sheer volume of chances that Liverpool are creating. I would expect that if he stays for next season, he gets it. Now, the thing is, I don't necessarily know if he will stay. I think he would have left this past summer if he hadn't had such a desperate year. I think he would have found his way out of the club um, by one one way or another, one person's decision or another. I think he would have moved on. There's a club in, in France with lots and lots of money who have a big, big interest in Sadio Mane. And if Sadio had been in form and that club had come in for him, I think they would have been happier to accept an offer from a Spanish club for a certain French striker who is out of contract next summer. Um, let's see. Who do I think will be next? Premier League top goal scorers of all time. Da, 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 da. Does this give me those who are close? It does not. Right, here we go. Let's have a look and see who's up next. So, um, Sadio will get 100 Premier League goals, obviously. Adebayor will not. Sterling will. Yakubu, Van Nistelrooy and Berbatov. Quite surprising that Van Nistelrooy only got 95, considering he scored for fun. Kevin Phillips, Mark Viduka, James Beatty. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, these aren't scoring. Giroud Davies, Cristiano will get there. He needs 13 more. He'll get it between, well, he'll get it this season, to be fair to him. Um, I don't think Benteke will get there. No, on 82, it would take him like nine more seasons to get there. Uh, Theo Walcott, I don't think, gets it. Although Theo, Theo might hang around. Youngman's son will get there. He'll get there next season. Um, I think he will be after Cristiano, Sadio, and Sterling. Sterling, I think, Sadio and Sterling are the next two, then Cristiano, then Son. Son will definitely get there because he signed that new contract at Spurs. He's 15 to 18 goals a season. He'll get there next season. Daniel Sturridge could get there. If Daniel Sturridge signs with an English club in January, a Premier League club in January, I think he could get there. And I think Brighton and Hove Albion would be crazy not to at least attempt to sign him in January. I think he solves a lot of their goal-scoring woes. I know they're scoring this season at a better rate than last season, but I think Daniel Sturridge could make a big difference for them. I would go for him. Uh, Firmino, I don't think, gets there. If Mares sticks around long enough, he probably needs three more seasons, including this one, two after. Mares could get there. Aubameyang would need to find form. He he would need to find form. He's got 65. I mean, he should be good for 18 to 20 a season, which would mean he'd get there next season, but he just doesn't look the same player anymore. So I'm going to say Son and and Daniel Sturridge ahead of Benteke and Walcott. I think they're more likely to do it. 
Uh, DeLangster, how do you see Kanate's path to nailed on starter beside Virgil week in, week out? Will Virgil and Kanate be the partnership this time next year? Or will he have to bide his time as Matip's playing? Yeah, I mean, look, Matip is playing really, really well. But you touch wood, you don't want to jinx the guy. But Joel is going to get hurt at some point. Because it's just what happens with Joel. And at that stage, then it opens up a spot for Kanate. And I find it interesting that Gomez is playing left side in his appearances this year. It looks like Gomez is now the the Virgil backup and Kanate is the Matip backup. So if Matip gets hurt, that should mean Kanate comes into the team. And I do think once he gets in, it's going to be really, really hard to shift him. If he gets five five to seven games next to Virgil in a row, I think it's going to be really, really hard to shift him out of the team. Like, they looked really, 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 really good together. Um against Palace. They just ha- seem to have a very natural understanding. And they look monstrous together as well. So, I, I think he just just needs to bide his time because it- Matip will eventually get hurt. Uh, Chris Colby, do you consider Salah to be a top five player in the Premier League era of the league? And if not, what do you think he would need to do to reach that level? So, for right now, no. Um, I, I right now would have Shearer, Henri, Roy Keane, Steven Gerrard, and I think Saul Campbell. Because you, you want to be fair and, and acknowledge that defenders are just as deserving of their place on this list as as anyone else. What can Salah do? Um, Three more years at the level of the last four would certainly help. I think it's just a longevity thing. Like, Shearer was in the league for, God, what, 15 years? Alan Shearer. Retired in 06. What's that? Fourteen Premier League seasons. That's a it's a hell of a run. Thierry Henry was at Arsenal for eight years, and then he came back on loan. But eight years. Uh, I think he's the one Salah is 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 aiming for. Now I think Henry is the greatest Premier League player that we've had. I think the level he was at. The only player who's hit that level and gone a little bit beyond it was Suarez for one season, 13-14, and then he left. Keane is the best midfielder of the Premier League, has seen the best captain, the best leader. Gerrard, what he was able to do was just second to none. And then, like I said, Saul Campbell, I just think you you have to acknowledge the fact that he was an incredibly good defender in the league for a long time. Not just with Arsenal, but with Tottenham before that and with Portsmouth after it. He was decent with Portsmouth. He came into the league in 92. He retired in 2009. 
Now I, I understand he played for Notts County and and all that nonsense, but he made five hundred and three Premier League appearances. And from about his second or third season in, Saul Campbell was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I, I don't think people fully grasp what it meant for Arsenal to sign him on a free transfer. Like how big of a signing that was. Number one, he was coming from Tottenham. But number two, he was the best defender in the league. And when I see people talk about Terry and Ferdinand, I just it blows my mind that people think they're the best Premier League defenders ever. Number one, neither of them are the best Premier League defender at their own clubs. Terry played with Carvalho, who was better than him, and came through in the team when Desailly was starting. Does anyone really think John Terry was better than Marcel Desailly? Nonsense. You look at United, Gary Pallister? How has he forgotten? How have people forgotten how good Gary Pallister was? Yapstam? Nemanja Vidic was better than Ferdinand when they played together. Ferdinand's the fourth best Premier League era centre-back at Manchester United. Terry is third at Chelsea. And if we're talking English centre-backs, Campbell is one and Tony Adams is two. Now you can make your argument then that Terry and, and Ferdinand are three and four. But the, the main reason they're three and four is that Ledley King and Jonathan Woodgate had so many injuries. Because Ledley King is the most talented centre-back of that group by a substantial margin, and Jonathan Woodgate is number two. Saul Campbell needs his respect. I know he comes across as a bit of a goof these days, and he makes silly comments, and I didn't like what he did when he's... he's brought the, the case against Macclesfield for unpaid wages. I mean, you're a multi-multi-millionaire, so you don't need the couple of hundred grand they owe you. I understand that the principle of the matter, but still, that club was going out of business and you were putting your foot, foot in their throat and, you know, they got wrapped up. Um, which is, you know, is one of those sad stories in football. But Saul Campbell, as a player, Great. So for 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 Salah, what he needs to do is he needs the longevity, you know. And the 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 shortest tenured player that I mentioned was was Henri at eight years. So I think when Salah gets to seven years, we'll have we'll have a conversation about that. But for now, no, I don't think he's there. I don't think he's top ten yet, but. A lot of players in my top 10 are in those early years as well. Like, I think you have to factor in gigs. And people can say, oh, you know, it wasn't as good individually as as Salah. And, you know, in later years, sure. But in his early years, Ryan Giggs was incredible. Now, I'm not going to get into what he's done in his personal life or any of that nonsense. But Ryan Giggs as a player. That career is just incredible. And no, he didn't score the goal Salah scored, but that wasn't his role. He was an out-and-out winger in a 4-4-2. And from 
91, 92 at the age of like 16, 17, all the way through to 2012, 13, he was playing regularly. His final season, 13, 14, didn't play as much, obviously, but that guy was playing in the league at a good level almost to his 40th birthday. Like, that that needs to be respected. That needs to be respected. 632 appearances in the Premier League is sensational. Absolutely sensational. I think Lampard has got to be ahead of uh, Salah for now. Uh, I think Rooney needs to be considered ahead of him. I can, I'd have Burkamp ahead of him. I, I think Salah can get there, but he needs to put together more seasons like the one we've just seen. Um, also, Everton managed by Benitez has been an uncomfortable relationship for the fan base and the cup loss has increased their frustration. Everton played Liverpool on November 30th and April 23rd. What percentage do you see him managing both games, the first game or neither game? Um, 0% he manages neither game. 100% he manages the first game. Rafa won't walk away. He, he's too proud. He's too stubborn. If it gets toxic, though, the thing is, like, before Everton consider firing Benitez, they have to look at their director of football. Brands has not done a good job as director of football since joining from Paris Saint-Germain. He came in with a big reputation. He over up not Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, PSV Eindhoven. He spent eight years at PSV. Before that, he did five years at AZ Alkmaar. Really, really impressive work. Helped build the team that won the league title at Alkmaar under Louis van Gaal. Changed. Everything about how PSV operated, their academy became just a machine. They were winning titles. But at Everton, he doesn't seem to have been effective. Now, he joined in May 2018. So if we look at the 18-19 Everton season, So he's just taken over, and he appoints Marco Silva as manager. Okay, so one managerial appointment and the following summer transfer window: Richarlison, Luca Dina, Bernard on a free, Yerry Mina. That's a really promising, really, really promising first transfer window. Brought in Andre Gomes and Kurt Zuma on loan. In hindsight, the Zuma deal wasn't bad when you see how you know how well he's done at Chelsea in, in spurts and the fact he's now moved on to West Ham at a decent fee. Uh, he played 32 games for Everton, but for whatever reason, just didn't settle. The partnership with him and Mina was never going to work. They're both too aggressive and too front-footed, and the partnership with him and Keane wasn't going to work because Keane's too slow. So when Zuma stepped out and went to try and win a ball, Keane didn't have the pace to cover a cross. 
Um, Andre Gomes I've just never been a fan of. But overall, that's a good transfer window. Except when you look at some of the outgoings. So, obviously they sold Davy Classen. That was fine. He didn't buy him. He sold him at a loss. But they loaned out Nikola Vlasic, who they had bought and never really given a chance to. They loaned out Onyakuru, who again they'd bought or they, they'd never given a chance to. And they loaned out Mason Holgate, which was just silly. The second so- season, they sack Marco Silva and they bring in Carlo Ancelotti. So there's your second managerial appointment in 18 months on the job. Uh, they buy Gomez outright, which is a bad decision. They buy Fabian Dell for ten million, bad decision. Moise Keane for thirty million, super talented, but you could have done some research into his behavioural patterns. Spent thirty-five million on Alex Awobi and twenty-five million on John Philippe Cabaman, who's played four games. Now, not his fault; he's been injured, but that is a disastrous transfer window. At the time, it looked bad. In hindsight, it's a disaster. And it gets worse because they sold Nikola Vlasic for 14 million with no buyback clause, no sell on clause. They sold Adamola Luckman for 18 million, no buyback, no sell on. Both of whom could and should have been starting for Everton at the time. When you look at who Everton were playing, those two should have been getting minutes in the team. Henry Onyakuro, now his. His path hasn't gone as well. They sold him to Monaco. Monaco have since loaned him twice to Galatasaray and sold him to Olympiacos. But he's really talented. And I think should have gotten more of an opportunity at Everton. He is only 24 still. At worst, he'd be a good option off the bench for them. Can play both sides or through the middle. Like that, that summer is a disaster. That is a sackable summer from. Marcel Brands. <laughs> then last year, they bring in Alain, Decoure, and Godfrey. I don't really, I'm not a big Decoure fan, but overall, it's not a bad window. They bring in James at the request of, of Carlo, and it just doesn't go well. Carlo walks at the end of the season. We're now on to permanent manager number three as they enter season number four under Marcel Brands. They'd no money to spend. They spent 1.7 million. And in, in large parts because of that disastrous transfer window that they had in 2019. The transfer window that basically cost Marco Silva his job. Didn't cost Brand his job. The, like the, the Silva thing as well, remember. The, he doesn't seem like he was Brand's choice because they'd been chasing him before they appointed him. They got basically got him sacked from the Watford job. He started well there. Everton got interested and ended up having to appoint Large Sam after Koeman was relieved of his duties. They tried to approach Silva in the October of that year. It didn't work out. Unsworth took over. Allardyce took over then after that. Brands arrived after all the Silva work had been done and still went with the appointment. That was That's weird. So maybe Silva's not on him at all, but it, it's just a very dysfunctional club. But I've gone completely astray here. Before Everton need to consider sacking Rafa Benitez, they need to consider the position of Marcel Brands. That's my point here. Um, 
I'll give it 50-50 on that second game that he manages the second game. But he'll 100% be there for the first game. It's 50-50, obviously, then on the second game. Um, Owen Hurley. A couple of months ago, I asked about a pundit review and league podcast. But in hindsight, that would be a lot of work in man hours. It would be nice to see a pay-per-review podcast, kind of like the Sunday Supplement or the Sunday Paper show on Off the Ball. Any thoughts on it? I feel like these shows are a good premise, but when they have other writers on, they tend to go soft on the bullshitters. That's his words, not mine. I haven't sworn there. He has. Um, Right. I would love to do something like this. Genuinely. I'd love to do something like this. I'd like to do it on punditry and newspapers because I do think we need to hold the media to to account so recently I, I spoke about how multiple journalists have spent a lot of time recently slagging off fans for the frenzy around the transfer window when it's those same journalists and sky sports who created the frenzy around transfers like the other day i spoke about you know, look, looking back on the 90s and that, and watching transfers pop up on CFAX of players you didn't know. Not only did you not know about them, you didn't know your club was interested in them. You just, you'd never heard of them before. They weren't players on the radar. I remember, I'll never forget walking into my mom's kitchen, turning on CFAX, and seeing Liverpool sign Hippia, and wondering who on earth is Hippia? Reading the piece on him, Willem Tway, it was my Accrington Stanley moment. Willem Tway, who are they? Never heard of Sammy Hippie. Finish, the only good Finnish player ever at that point had been Yari Litmanen. So I didn't hold out much hope. And he turned out to be incredible. But that's what it was for transfers when I was young. The current generation of, you know, fans who are 16, 17, 18, etc., they didn't grow up the way I grew up, the way anyone of my age grew up, where we didn't have all this constant news cycle. We didn't have this clickbait culture. We didn't have the internet to, to, for the most part. Um, so we got told about transfers after they happened, not beforehand. We didn't have spoofers like Romano, Falk, and Balaga, you know, making money for, from lying to people. So the media created this, not the fans. And the media created multiple narratives. Like, there's a local newspaper of a Premier League club who is very quick to criticize any player who signs for the club and challenges the place of that club captain. Now, a lot of people will know exactly who I mean, but that newspaper has run multiple agendas against any player who has come in in a certain position that challenges the captain's spot in the team. And when called out on it, the journalists get their backs up, they get all riled up and accuse people of, you know, of all sorts. And then when presented with the evidence showing what they've done, 
they just ignore it or they block you on social media, whatever. Recently, I saw a journalist, being kind to him, um, refer to people who'd criticised Divock Origi as keyboard warriors and then go on a blocking spree as everybody sent him the receipts of his own criticism of Divock Origi, of his own claims that Liverpool needed to replace Divock Origi. The same journalist said Liverpool would sign certain players, they were going to do certain things. And then when presented with evidence of him saying these things, was incredibly rude to people that pay his wages by subscribing to that to the, the outlet that he works for. Journalists don't like to be held accountable. And somebody should do it. In the same way somebody should do it uh, in terms of pundits. Like, when Danny Mills or Danny Murphy or Jermaine Genus or any of these, Carragher, Neville, whoever you want to name, make ridiculous statements, somebody should show them the evidence of why they're wrong. Now, the punditry one will be very hard because you'd need to do it with video. The newspaper one will be interesting, though. To take... How would you do it? You'd need to do it as a review. You'd almost need to do it like a month, a month behind. So today is the 23rd of September. You'd need to look back on the newspapers from the 23rd of August, say, and go through the major stories of that day. And with a month's space between then and now, see if there was any accuracy to it. It is something I've looked at. It is something myself and Trev Downey have discussed in the past and myself and a couple of others. Whether or not we can put it together, I don't know. It might be a lot of work and, you know, not everybody's as committed to slandering people as I am. So I, I don't know if it can be put together, but it is definitely something I'd like to do. Uh, I'm going to finish up with the last question of the day, which comes from Stephen Smith who's almost certainly going to upset me with this. Uh, okay, uh, it's another player or player A or player B. Jan Oblak or Gianluigi Buffon? It, it's Buffon. Buffon's the greatest goalkeeper, in my view, of all time. And he's certainly the greatest I've ever seen. I was fortunate enough to watch his entire career. Like One of the great things about Italian football being on... English television and Irish television so early on was that it gave you access to all these players and it gave you a real interest in them. So Buffon's debut I saw and I saw his last game for Juventus. He's obviously playing for Parma now. He's just one that I'll get to see start and end of his career and that that's that's special. Uh, Ashley Cole or Dennis Irwin? Ashley Cole was better left back Dennis Irwin was a better player because Dennis Irwin could play right back just as well as left back because he was right footed. Remember, Dennis Irwin played left back most of his career despite being naturally right footed. I would say Dennis Irwin was a better player than Ashley Cole. Zinedine Zidane or Kaka? Zidane. Kaka had about a, a three or four year spell from. From 05 to 09, when he joined Madrid and started to have injuries, he was he was absolutely ridiculous. He 
replaced Ronaldinho as the best player in the world in probably 07 and had his run until 09 and then Messi took over. But Zidane, Zidane was just on a different level. Zidane is, is, I think he's maybe a top five player of all time. Zidane was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. To be his height, his build, and have that level of control, not of the ball, but of his body, and just that kind of agility, dexterity, balance, sensational. Zinedine Zidane, for me, is probably a top five, definitely a top ten player of all time. Um, Chris Waddle or Joaquin? Waddle. Joaquin's had an amazing career. But I don't think his peak was as good as Waddle's peak. He's definitely got longevity on Waddle. The Waddle played, I think, till 37 as well, like 30, 37. But Waddle's peak was higher than Joaquin's peak. I'm going to come back to the next one. Uh, Baggio or Romario? Baggio. Baggio was the best player in the world. Romario never was. Romario was an incredible goal scorer. He was... In the final third, he's one of the best players I've ever seen. He was useless outside of it, and he was horrible off the ball. Uh, unless the ball was coming to him, he just didn't want to know. He's such a... Like, maybe the best natural finisher the game's ever had. But Baggio was special. And Baggio was the best player in the world from probably 93 to 95 when Ronaldo or 9 it kind of exploded. Um... Yeah, Baggio for me. Rude Huller or Paul Gascoigne? Gaza had more talent. Hullard had more physical ability. Like Hullard, Until Cristiano Ronaldo appeared on the scene, Hullard might be the best athlete to ever play the game. But Gaza had more talent. Hullard had the better career, though. Hullard reached heights Gaza never got to. Gaza's knee injury against... Forrest in the cup final kind of altered his career path drastically. Because back then, 30 years ago, a torn ACL and everything else he did to his knee was, you know, potentially career-ending. And he was never the same. He was great in Scotland. He did okay in Italy, but he was never the same. Hollis at his peak. Saki's Milan, Euro 88. Through the 90 World Cup, he was very good. The early years of of Capello, yeah, Hullet. Uh Desai or Fernando Hierro? Desai. I, I love Hierro. Hierro's the best Spanish centre-back of all time, ahead of Puyol. Um, excellent midfielder, great pass to the ball. But Desai, as an athlete, for his power, for his ability to just dominate physically, his positional sense. You saw him for Marseille and for Milan just be so, so physically dominant. He could just, he could sit in midfield and basically just squeeze the life out of the game. And the partnership with him and Albertini is one of the best I've ever seen. Now, I loved Hierro, and Hierro was part of my favorite AC, favorite Real Madrid team, which had Laudrup and Redondo in midfield, and he sat at centre back. And was was miraculously good, but I I will go Desai. 
Uh, just his ability to just squeeze the life out of a game and not give the opposition an inch and just appear to be absolutely everywhere while never moving was amazing, genuinely amazing. Luis Figo or Rivaldo? They played together at Barca. And I remember watch. I remember the first time I saw Rivaldo play, he was playing for Deportivo La Coruña. He just arrived over from Brazil. And this is back when Sky used to show a Spanish game on a Saturday night and a Sunday night. And maybe they still do. But I remember watching him for La Coruña and just been mesmerized by this guy who, who just seemed incredibly lazy, one-paced, but always had space, always had time on the ball, could get his shot away from anywhere, with seemingly no backlift, could just unleash cannonballs off his right, off his, off his left foot. But I think Figo is the answer here. Because I think when Figo went to, like at, Bar- at Barca, he was great. When he went to Real, he went up a level. Now, part of that was playing with Zidane. But that, that Real team with those two kind of playing, it was, it was basically a box midfield with those two as the advanced two. They were just sensational together. I think I'd go Figo. Rivaldo might have had the best season between either of them. He had that one season at Barcelona where I think he won the Ballon d'Or, didn't he? He was just insane. But I think Figo was a better player. Um, I'm going to do number five before I come to number ten. Number five is Graham Souness versus Roy Keane. So... Souness is a bit before my time, obviously, but I've seen a lot of his games on on tape. Souness was a better passer of the ball than Keane. Keane had more mobility. Early Keane. uh, Forrest, first few years at United, pre-knee injury. Both of them, brilliant command of the midfield, great understanding of space, great positional sense. Keane's developed a bit later. Souness seemed to have it. From early on. I would say Souness was the better player. I think there's a I think Souness the better player, and I, I I think Souness is the greatest British midfielder of all time. Keane is the greatest Irish midfielder of all time. And I, together in midfield, they would have been unstoppable, especially that young Keane. If you got Keane pre-knee injury and Souness at his best. I think those two would have absolutely dominated the world together. But they probably would have punched the head off each other 15 times a week. There's a real argument made as to who the better captain is, who the better leader was. And I think that might be where Keane edges Souness a little bit. But Souness is the better player. Um, Michael Laudrup or Luis Suarez. So this, this is really doing me dirty here. So Michael Laudrup is my favourite player of all time. Um, he was the first, you know, you saw Maradona, you knew he was the best player in the world. Everybody told you he was the best player in the world. But you know that first player that you really fell in love with? Not not that played for your own team. Someone that you saw play for somebody else and you just kind of went, wow, that, that guy's different. Michael Laudrup was that guy for me. Um, 
he was at Barcelona and I just fell in love with watching him play. He moved to Real Madrid. He was incredible. There's a spell before Baggio where Laudrup was the best player in the world. He was the best player in Johan Cruyff's dream team. And don't ever let anyone tell you it wasn't him. It was him. Better than Romario, better than Stoichkov, better than Koeman, better than Guardiola. All of them, well, Romario wouldn't back that up because he thinks he's the greatest player ever. But all the rest of that team will, will, without question, say, and most of them have said it, Laudrup was the best player in that team. He left because of the three-foreigner rule and because his contract was running down and Barca didn't want to extend him into his 30s. I've watched, I've probably seen 80% of his pro games at this point. After he left Denmark, it's just impossible to get footage of his time in Denmark. Um, but from from when he joined Juventus, uh, just absolutely different class. And it's always bugged me that he was due to join Liverpool, and Liverpool tried to get funny with the contract. Sorry, it was Lazio. He, Lazio he joined first. Lazio, then Juventus. Um, him and him and Platini just different class um, finding that Bronby footage is is something I do want to do if anyone knows where I can get footage of Bronby in 82-83 games might have even been televised I'd appreciate it I've seen most of his games at Lazio pretty much all of his games at Juve all of his games at Barca all of his games at Real uh, all of his games at Ajax and I, most of his games at Vissel Kobe. Some of the early Denmark games are impossible to find as well, but anything from 86 on is, is pretty much there. Um, yeah, Michael Laudrup for me is is my favourite player of all time. It still guts me that he wasn't part of the Danish squad in 92 because he deserved to be. He... He held himself back because he just had quite a spiky personality and found ways to fall out with people. I think he's done the same as a manager as well. Uh, I noticed that his last job as a manager was El Rehan, who were the team that just signed James Rodriguez. Um, so, you know, that's just an interesting little thing. Um, Luis Suarez is the best player I've ever seen play for Liverpool. He is no, he's not the best. He is the best player who's ever played for Liverpool. But he doesn't have the longevity of having done it at Liverpool. So that's why he's not the greatest player to ever play for Liverpool. That's why it's Kenny Dalglish or John Barnes or Souness or you can argue Gerard. Suarez is the best though. He nobody else got to that level. The the level he was at from January two thousand thirteen till May two thousand fourteen is just unmatched. Laudrup had a better career, though. Laudrup had a better career. Suarez has been incredible, and Suarez will go down as one of the all-time great number nines. Laudrup is maybe the most underrated player in the game. Um, people seem to forget just how good he was. And there's just... I suppose Barcelona fans want to forget how great he was for them because I I don't know because he joined Real Madrid maybe but if you if you go even just go on his 
Um, even going as Wikipedia, I'm just going to read some of these, okay? So throughout his career, Lauder was often ranked among the best players in the world with three-time French uh, European football... With the French European Football of the Year, Michel Platini describing him as one of the most talented players ever, only lamenting his lack of selfishness, causing him to score too few goals. So that's, that's Platini. Raul said he's the best player he ever played with. Raul played with Figo, Zidane, Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo. Uh, incredible, Seedorf, incredible players. He says Laudrup's the best player he ever played with. Oh, actually, Romario said he's also the best player he ever played with. Luis Figo said he's the best player he ever played against. Romario said he's the fourth greatest player ever behind Pele, Maradona, and Romario. Uh, Ronald Koeman said he's the most elegant player he ever played with, the most skillful player he ever played with. He could sense when a game was ready to be seized and transformed by a moment of individual brilliance. Roberto Gallia stated in 1908, sorry, 2008, I played against Maradona, Platini and Baggio, but the player I saw do the most indescribable things was Michael Laudrup. Guillermo Amor says, I've never seen a better player in one-on-ones. He was he was our special player. Thierry Henry, Henry named Laudrup as the best player he'd never played with, saying he did not know any better passer of the ball than him. John Toshak said Laudrup was the best player of his generation. Franz Beckenbauer said Laudrup was the best player of the 90s. Javier Clement said, to me, Michael Laudrup is a genius. The most genius footballer the world has ever seen. Jose Marie Baquero said, no one has given this club, which is Barcelona, as much inspiration as Laudrup. Ian Rush described him as an incredible player who had probably the most individual skill he'd ever seen. Incredible. Incredible. Christo Stoichkov, for more than 100 goals that I scored, I'm sure over 50 were assisted by Michael. To play with him was extremely easy. We found each other by intuition on the field and found common football language. Look at Ivan's, uh, Zamor, Zamor, uh, sorry, Ivan Zamorano. Uh, Laudrup went there and Zamorano was a goal scorer. Sometimes I envy Ivan or Ivan for the passes he receives. Passes on foot after you accelerated. Few people understand football like the Danish player. He can only be compared to Maradona Schuster. Or Baggio. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Iniesta said he was his inspiration. Zamorano, full of praise. Johan Cruyff said he was one of the most difficult players he worked with. When he gives 80 to 90%, he is still by far the best player. But I want 100% and he rarely does that. Had Michael been born in a poor ghetto in Brazil or Argentina... With the ball being his only way out of poverty, he would today be recognized as the biggest genius of the game ever. He had the abilities to reach it, but lacked this ghetto instinct, which could have driven him there. Yeah, so Laudrup obviously grew up quite quite privileged because his dad had been a professional footballer and, and done quite well. When he, was still, when he was manager of Swansea, Alan Tate said he's still the best player in training at 48. Uh, Danny Graham said Laudrup is the best player tra- in training by a mile at 48 
Yeah, Michael Loudrup. I, I love Luis Suarez. Nothing will ever stop me loving Luis Suarez, but Michael Loudrup. Sorry. There, there's just... There's just certain players. There's certain players that people who who dismiss players of the past just need to go and look at. And Michael Loudrup is one. Because there's no one in the game that does what Loudrup did. Nobody in the modern game that does what Michael Loudrup did. Uh, sensational. Going to wrap up with the gossip and get done. Uh, Chelsea want, want to sign Matthias Delict. Great. Uh, they're not going to. FC Basler considering a move for Laurie's Carrios. They tried that in the summer. It didn't work. Tottenham have been linked to the move for Anthony Martial. Uh, he doesn't fit. Where's he going to play? They have a nine. They have a left-sided forward. That's someone making up a link based on something that was around a few years ago. I don't see Nuno playing two up front. Now, he could go for a three with Son on the right, Martial on the left, and Kane to the middle. I just don't know if it will work. Um, Barcelona would have to pay 1.8 million euros to release Roberto Martinez from his contract with the Belgian national team. Do not pay that money. Martinez has played down reports linking him with the job as a replacement for Ronald Koeman. That's good to see he's been respectful, at least. Um, Bayern Munich are interested in signing Antonio Rudiger. I, I don't think they are. Liverpool are keen on Real Madrid and Spain winger Marco Asensio. I'd like that to be true. I don't believe it is. But they have shown a lot of interest in him in the past and did make a bid from four, three, four years ago before he blew out his knee uh, when he was still kind of establishing himself there after his move. Arsenal and France striker Alexander Lacazette has no desire to sign a new contract and he will leave at the end of the season. Arsenal have failed miserably in their attempts to sell him this summer that he could have taken 10 million. Someone would have given you 10 million for him. The Gunners will also reportedly make Bernard Leno available for transfer. Congratulations, you won't get a bid from him. Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel has hinted that Ruben Loftus-Cheek has to impress him. He hasn't hinted, he's outright said it and he's right. Loftus-Cheek has to prove he's good enough. The last few years haven't been good enough. Manchester City have rejected a £15 million bid from Borussia Dortmund for English striker Liam Delap. Um, I don't know how true that is. It's from Football Insider, so it's probably garbage. Arsenal and AC Milan are interested in Noah Lang. He's talented. I don't think he's good enough for, for AC Milan, but he could be good. he's a good enough squad player for Arsenal now. Uh, he can develop into a starter. I'm not saying he can't. I just, at the moment, I don't think he's quite there. Barcelona scouts watched Brighton's 20-year-old goalkeeper, Carl Rushford, who's currently on loan at Walsall. Um, I, I'm not going to comment on this because I don't know. Uh, two, two Premier League clubs plus top sides in Italy are interested in signing FC Dallas and United States striker Ricardo Pepe, 18. Um, I don't know anything about him. Ricardo Pepe, Ricardo Daniel Pepe from El Paso, Texas, six foot one. Let's see. Oh, he's having himself a season. Twelve goals in twenty-four games this season, which is his first kind of full season as a starter. Last year, nine in, in sorry three and nineteen. He seems to have been a squad player last year. Uh. FC Dallas, I'm guessing, I haven't followed MLS all that well. They don't look very good. Uh, they're 22nd in the overall standings, which 
really doesn't seem good. How many teams are there? Is there 30 teams? Conference standings. There are 28 teams, and they are number 22 at the minute. They are number 11 of 13 in the Western Conference behind Houston Dynamo, because all Houston teams have to suck right now. That's the rule. So the Texans suck, the Rockets suck. Not sure how the Astros are doing. Um, I, this is completely off topic, and you don't care about this, but I'm interested. And while I have you here, I'm going to ramble. So the Houston Astros, they're good. So the Astros are good, and all of the Houston teams suck. And Austin FC, who I believe this is their first year in MLS, so yeah, FC Dallas are having a shocker of a season. But his numbers are promising in terms of pure goals, 12 and 24 at 18. Can't really ask for a whole lot more, um, but I don't know much about him. But best of luck to him anyway. That'll do. We'll do no more today. Thank you, as always, for listening to my inane ramblings. Thank you to Guy Drinkle, and I will see you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.